0: You know, over the past couple weeks, you know, we've been in the study of the book of James and we're working through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And over the past couple of weeks, i looked at the importance of having a receptive heart to God's word and a responding heart to God's word. And here's the thing. Um, today's message, it's going to be vital that you have a receptive heart and a responding heart. Because where James is drilling down on today is um, that of partiality, all right? Showing favoritism to some people, but looking down on other people. And, and he's, he's hitting this. Because apparently, the church that he was writing to with Christians in it, they were doing that. And we're going to see in our text, it was in the the, the vein of wealthy people and poor people. And apparently, this church was showing favoritism to the rich people and showing partiality to them, but shunning and looking down at the misfit poor people. And James is, is addressing this issue. Now, here's the thing, and here's the problem, and that's the title of the message today, The Problem with Partiality, or the uh, Partiality Problem, is this. 2,000 years later, the church still has a problem with this. In the church, Christians today still show partiality. We still show favoritism to some people, but guess what we do to the misfits? We cast them out. We look down on them. We talk bad about them. We mistreat them. And so that's where we're going today. Everybody say, this is going to be fun. All right. Remember, very first message I said, the book of James is what? Hard. Hard. And uh, this is a hard message today, but needed. And so today I want to show you the problem with partiality. So here's the first thing. If you have your notes please take them and here's the first thing of the first problem with partiality and it's this it's inconsistent with being a christian the problem with partiality is it's inconsistent with being a christian so if you look at chapter 2 verse 1 there he says my brothers brothers is he's he's addressing christians all right brothers isn't just meaning men it's 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 Brothers and sisters, that's believers, Christians. He's addressing the church. He says, show no partiality. The NIV says, no, show no favoritism. As you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Show no partiality. Um, is there any ambiguity in that statement? None. none. All right, he is just point blank making a statement. Show none no partiality, no favoritism. And he says, as you hold on to the faith, what he's saying is, as you live out your Christian faith, as you live out being a believer in Jesus Christ, as you're going to church, as you're doing your church thing, hey, guess what you are not to do? Show favoritism, show partiality, Do not be looking at one group of people and go, well, these people are good, and then look at another group of people and go, well, I don't know about them. He's saying show no partiality. And the reason we need to understand that it's inconsistent with being a Christian is for two main reasons. One, God doesn't do it. Romans chapter 2, verse 11 says that God shows no favoritism. He's not looking at people going, well these people deserve to be saved, but these people don't. No, he's just like, man, everybody on the board deserves to be saved. He, he looks at everybody. And he's like, you know what? These people are, are not as bad as sinners as are these people. No, God looks at all people and he's like, without Christ, you're all sinners, but I love you all. Okay. God doesn't show favoritism, but here's the second thing. Jesus never showed favoritism. Jesus showed no partiality for people. Okay. In Jesus's time, the playing field with Jesus, guess what the ground was? Level, all right? It didn't matter who you were, what you looked like, what you did. When you came to Jesus, the level, the ground was level, all right? Jesus didn't show partiality. The people did. You see, the Jewish people thought they were better than Samaritans. So the the Jewish people uh, didn't talk to Samaritans, didn't eat with Samaritans, didn't touch anything the Samaritans touched. They shunned them. In fact, the Jewish people thought Samaritans were no better than a dog, okay? But Jesus in John chapter 4 shows up at a well one day and there's a woman there and he's like, hey, uh, would you give me something to drink? The problem was she was a Samaritan. And she's like, well, I thought you Jewish people didn't, you know, hang out with us Samaritans. And you're asking me for a drink. I thought you didn't do that. And he's just like, you know what? Let's get past that. I don't care if you're a Samaritan. You and I are going to have a conversation. He saw her isn't he just, level playing field right here. The Jews looked at sinful people and shunned them. The religious leaders, they were like, oh, no way, man. You got to be like me to be in my group. And they shunned the, the the sinner. What did Jesus do? He embraced them. Okay? He he ate with the tax collectors. He he went after the prostitutes. He didn't condemn an adulteress. He was like, no, no, no. I I I'm not gonna show partiality to someone who is a little bit better religiously than you are. No, I want to be in your world. And he looked at them, he accepted them, he loved them, and he embraced them. He did not show partiality for who they were, what they did, what they looked like. You know, even women in Jesus' time were considered second-class citizens. Women were always, I mean, it's no different in, than like in the Muslim world today. Women, they don't have no opportunity to, to, to go to school, to work. That They're considered second-class. You stay behind the men. Well, Jesus looked at women and said, no. I want you engaged in my life. Be part of my ministry. And he did not look at them differently. He showed no partiality to men. And he did not treat women differently. He showed no favoritism. So here's the thing. If Jesus showed no favoritism, if God doesn't show favoritism, how can we as Christians do it? How can we who say, oh, I'm a believer of Christ, I'm a follower of Christ, show favoritism and treat one group of people differently, okay? Now, here's the thing. In our text, as we're going to see, like I already said, it, it, it's looking at the favoritism of rich people over poor people, all right? They, they, the people showed partiality to the, the, the wealthy, and they disregarded the, 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 the poor. And um, the reality is we do that in church still today. Because we have this idea that rich people add to the church. You know, it's nice to have their money because they give a little bit more. All right. But here's the thing. I want to take this a little bit one step further beyond the text. Because it's just not rich and poor. It's not about just social status, financial status that we show um, partiality and favoritism. What about... Someone who comes to church and uh, they're covered in tattoos and studs coming out of their eyebrows, their noses, they got piercings everywhere, dressed in black with funky hair. Man, you put them in a church and people freak out. All right, man, look at look how they're dressed. Man, we don't dress like that, you don't look like that and come to church. And what do, what do churches do? Shun those people. I mean, there are some people, you show up in jeans. And church is like, ah, you're wearing jeans. You're the devil. And, 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 and all of a sudden, guess what's happening? You're putting these people in a category. You, you've ju- we've just treated them differently because they don't look like us. What about What about skin color? There's a lot of churches unfortunately that are still racist. If a black person, an oriental person, a Hispanic person were to come into that church, that church is freaking out and they're like, "Oh, and all of a sudden, a wall is built up and that person is shunned because of the color of their skin. What about, what about their sinful condition? How many of you know um, there's a lot of sinners showing up in church? Okay. Now, here's the thing. Um, sometimes the sinful condition means it could be a gay couple coming into the church. Or what about someone who is dealing with gender identity? Do we shun them? Oh, you're not like us. You don't behave like us. And do we show favoritism to someone who has it all together? And we show like, nope. And and we treat these people differently? You see... It's partiality, it's favoritism, and and, and it's so wrong. What about someone who uh, has been to prison? And they come to church. How do we treat them? Now, here's the... As I thought about this this week, and I just have to shake my head at this one. The embarrassing fight... And mistreatment, and the favoritism, and the partiality that is being shown to people, and and how Christians are talking bad about people and saying things about people over mask and vaccinations. Who would have ever thought? But it's real. The 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 treatment of people, and 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 saying things about people who who disagree with my stance on a mask or my stance on a vaccination. It is unreal. And there is so much favoritism, partiality being shown. The reality is, James says, show no partiality, no favoritism. And it doesn't matter who the person is, what they look like, what they do, how they act, what they wear. It doesn't matter. Show no partiality. Why? Because God doesn't do it and Jesus never did it. And guess what we are to be? We are to be imitators of Christ and imitators of God. And if we are to be imitators of Christ and imitators of God, then guess what we are not to be doing? Showing favoritism and treating somebody differently because of their skin color, because of their sinful condition, because of whatever reason. Nope show no partiality because it's so inconsistent with being a christian here's the second thing the second problem with partiality is this it reveals an unwelcoming environment it reveals an unwelcoming environment verse 2 he says for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly And a poor man in shabby clothing comes in. All right, now, he's talking about, hey, um, Sunday morning church. He's like, hey, the assembly is the gathering of the people. All right? Now, you got to understand, they gathered a little bit differently than we did, but it was still a gathering of believers. People were coming together. And so, um, James is like, hey, uh, when you have your ushers at the back door, how are they treating certain people? Okay, you got to, they had a really bad usher problem here. All right, because obviously, you know, um, you got a rich person coming in and the usher's like, whoa, look at the ring, man. Look at his clothes. This dude's rich. Come with me, man. We got a seat right here in the front just for you. And then the dude with shabby clothes in, the usher's like, ooh, stick him in the back corner. We want these rich people. We don't want these poor people because these poor people are going to scare the rich people away. And he goes on to say, though... He says, so if a man in shabby clothes comes in, now here it is, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit at my feet, here it is, you, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Do you want to know what happens when, when we... Um, show favoritism when we take one group of people where a person say, man, you're special. And then we look at it, the other people and go, you're not so special. You want to know what it just revealed? The heart. It reveals the heart of the, of, of the congregation. It reveals the heart of the people gathered together. It creates an environment that says we will welcome some people, but not others. You look different, you can't come here. You act different, you can't come here. You, you see, it, it creates a very unfriendly environment. It's unwelcoming. It, 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 it just reveals the true condition of the heartbeat in that church. Now, I've, I've told this story before, and I know many of you have heard it, and, and so just uh, bear with me, but I know some of you have not heard the story. You know, I remember one time I was listening to a message and I think it was by Pastor Chip Ingram. And um, this has been years ago. And he was talking about where he was at a church in a, in a bigger city and he was out in the foyer before service talking with one of the, the um, deacons of the church. And uh, he said, before you knew it, there was this woman walking into the front door, walking into the, the, the foyer area. And he goes, and I looked at her and you could tell that she... wasted just she was looked like a prostitute she just didn't have the right clothes on she looked like a mess and uh, he said this deacon was very quick to get in front of her and go here at this church we don't look like that you need to go home and change and then you come back and and the pastor saw this woman just The countenance just left her and she bowed her head and she turned around and walked out. And he said, he goes, she's not coming back because she was just told you are too different to be here. We don't we don't welcome your kind. You need to go change yourself and then you come back and look more presentable like us. We will accept you. And she left broken hearted. And that pastor, and like I said, I believe it's Chip Ingram. He saw this woman and he saw the desperation in her. He saw the sinfulness. He saw the brokenness. And he saw that this woman was trying to get somewhere to a church to find hope. To find that there's got to be an answer to my life right now. And the one person that could have just embraced her, excommunicated her. Told her, nope, you can't be here. It's always my prayer that we as a church will never be an unwelcoming church. That we would never look at a person or a group of people based on their skin color or what they dress like, or what they look like, how they act, how they behave. But we would be a church that says, you know what, we want to be as welcoming as possible to anybody who would walk through those doors, no matter what they look like, no matter where they've been last night, I don't care if they were in the bars until 3 a.m., and they're walking in with beer on their breath, that we would say, hey, you're welcome here. And that what people would see who would be considered the misfits would see a church that says, you know what, Um, they just love people. They're just welcoming people. And that what would be revealed from us is not an unwelcoming environment, but a welcoming environment. And the only way that happens is when we realize partiality and favoritism is so inconsistent with being a believer in Christ. That we cannot create an unwelcoming environment. That we've got to just... And let people come in. And I thought about this, and this is not even my notes. I thought about this in my office this morning. Some people were like, well, Jim, you start letting those sinners in the church. Oh, my gosh. You know, what happens when we start if if, if you know... All of a sudden, we, we let gay couples come in. Does that mean we're accepting that gay marriage is okay? And, well, we can't have that. Listen, listen. It is not our job to change people. It's our job to present Christ to people, to preach the word and let God do the work. I can't change. Guess what? All of you who've been coming here, let me ask you, have I ever come into your life and go, Hope, you're a mess. You better change your... No. I have never come to anybody and said, you need to get your act together because you're really a mess. No, all I've done for 20 years is preach the word. I've prayed for people, preached the word, and for some weird way, God has a way of working in people's hearts. And then God begins to reveal to people, hey, you need to change. This, This lifestyle is wrong. You need to It's not up to me. It's not up to us to change anybody. It is up to us to welcome people, create an environment that says we love you, and let them come in. That's what we got to be after week after week, and not creating an unwelcoming environment because of partiality. Here's the third problem with partiality. It devalues people. Partiality devalues people. So if you look there at verse 5 through verse 7, it says, listen, my beloved brothers. Again, he just keeps reminding them, hey, you guys are Christians here, okay? And, and, And understand that. He says, listen to me, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you in the court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So these, these Christians in James' time was like, man, we love the, 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 the rich people. We want them to come into the church and we need more of those rich people, man. Those poor people though, uh-uh, man. We got to stick them in the corner. We can't let them be seen. And, and James is like, really? And he, he gives them like a, a, a very strong rebuke regarding three things. One is this, like in verse, at the, uh, um, verse seven, he's talking about, he goes, hey, isn't, aren't the rich people the ones that like put you in prison? Aren't the rich people the ones that like talk about Jesus in a bad way? Isn't, aren't the rich people the ones that's making life miserable for you? He's like, then why are you applauding them? Now, James is not against rich people. He's just trying to make these people understand it doesn't matter whether they're rich or whether they're poor. He's like, he wants them to understand. He's like, you're so fired up against the rich people, but the rich people really don't care about you. He's like, why are you you acting this way over a group of people that isn't going to make a difference? But then notice right there in verse 6. He says, you have dishonored the poor man dishonored him. The moment these people showed favoritism and partiality, the moment they separated, the rich people over here in the good seats, the poor people, nope, nope, nope. James is like, you just dishonored them. And you devalued them as a person. You have made them less than who they really are. And the the reason for that is why that, that is such a bad thing is because of what he says in verse 5. And he says, isn't God the one who chose these poor? Isn't God the one that has already, like, got salvation for these poor people? You see, he's, he's going to this point. He goes, you're devaluing a poor person. You're, you're dishonoring a poor person. But yet God sees a poor person just as valuable as a rich person, and, and in God's eyes, there is no rich or a poor person, in God's eyes, it's like, no, it, it, it's just people, all right, and, and God values people, God does not dishonor or devalue anybody, in fact, in the book of Psalm, chapter 145, he says, the Lord is gracious, and compassionate slow to anger and rich in love the lord is good to how many all, all. he is compassion on how many all. all he has made he has had compassion on all every person so when James is saying, hey, here's how God views people, he's saying, you know, like salvation is coming to these, these poor people more than rich people. Now let's get an understanding here that James is not saying that because people are poor, they're automatically saved. That's not, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying that all people are converted to Christ. He's not saying that. He's not even saying that, that God is biased against rich people. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, when you look at kind of like the spiritual line, when you look at poor people and rich people, poor people have a better chance of coming to Christ because they realize, I have nothing. And they look at their life and they go, because when you're poor, um, how, how, much, how much hope are you putting in your money? Not much, because you don't have a lot. Okay, So when you're poor, the idea of what James is saying is because you're poor, you really only have one way to go up and you're like, God, I need you. Where a rich person, guess where their hope and trust is in? Themselves. They're like, I don't need God. Look how much money I have. Look at my job. Look at everything I can do. I can, I can make it in life. I don't need God. That's why Jesus said it's for a rich man to get into heavens like a camel trying to go through an eye of a needle because a rich person believes I don't need God. I don't need that salvation because I can be saved by my money. That's what James is saying here, okay? But rich or poor, everybody's got to come through the saving knowledge of Christ, all right? But what James is trying for the takeaway for us is that we have got to look at people and understand the value in them because Christ values them. God values them. God shows mercy and compassion and love on all people, all right? Not just certain groups, not just people who have it all together, all right? But on all people. And so guess what? Whether it's a person of a different color skin, somebody dealing with gender identity, somebody who is gay... Somebody who is, their sinful condition is just out there. Somebody who looks so different from us, acts different from us. Guess what? We have, to got, we have got to show love and compassion and mercy. Why? Because that's what Jesus did, all right? Even when Jesus was alive, man, he showed mercy to people. He showed compassion to people. He didn't shun people. You know, when the adulteress was caught in adultery by the religious leaders, Jesus showed compassion to her. He didn't condone her sin, but he didn't condemn her either. He was like, man, I'm I'm here all the way to the end. And we got to look at people and we got to show mercy. We got to let people know that um, God wants all people to come to Christ. God wants no one to perish. And um, the problem is if we're showing favoritism, if we're showing... Partiality to some and and looking down on others. Those people will not see that love and that compassion. So the problem with partiality is it's inconsistent with being a Christian. It reveals an unwelcoming environment. It devalues people. Fourthly, it is unloving. It devalues people because it's unloving. And if you look at verse 8, he says, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to all the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. The NIV says, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. That royal law, what he's referring to is in Mark chapter 12, when Jesus is asked, hey, what's the greatest commandments? And Jesus is like, it's easy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as you love yourself. Those are the two greatest commandments. He goes, if you do these two things, you fulfill the whole law. So James is saying, listen, if you will just love people, if you love people as you love yourself, you are doing well. You're doing right. But the problem is, they weren't doing it. They were what? Showing favoritism. They were not, they were showing love to the rich people, but unlovingly to the poor people. And James like, you can't be doing that. And so these people are not showing the love of Christ to the poor people. And so guess what happens in the church today? We do the exact same thing. It's really hard to say, hey, I'm a Christian when we sound unloving. Okay? When you have Christians on Facebook saying hateful Speech things, that's not very loving. When you have Christians being racist, when you have Christians looking at people who look different from us and and shunning them, when you have Christians who who stand on the, the street corner with a sign and say, you know, gay people will burn in hell. How loving is that? Or how unloving is that? Because the reality is, Unbelievers see Jesus through who? Us. So if unbelievers see Christians, in quotes, saying, oh, we love Jesus, but we hate you, how are these people ever going to see Jesus? How many, how many unbelievers have said, I don't need you? and your church or your Jesus because of the way you act. Now, we're not going to be perfect. Everybody agree in that? Yeah. All right? But I can't use my, hey, I'm not perfect to be racist. I can't sit there at work and tell my racist jokes because, well, I'm not perfect. I can't, I can't use my perfection, my lack of perfection to say hateful speech on Facebook. I can't use my lack of, well, I'm not, I'm, I don't have it all together to, to tell gay people, hey, you're, you're going to hell. I got to be loving. Doesn't mean I agree with what you may be, but I love you, and I want to I show you that. And if I'm being partial to other people, not to some, I'm not being loving. And that's a problem. You know, I, I sit there and think of how we um, will show partiality and be very unloving to people. And I wonder, do we forget where we came from? Seems like the longer we become a Christian or have been a Christian, uh, we forget that, guess what, you were a misfit. And one of my favorite verses is James 5.8. That God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still misfits, while we were still messed up like a major soup sandwich, while we were still dead, Christ dies for us. Why? Because God shows his love, mercy, and compassion toward misfits. And guess what? Everybody in this room, everyone who calls themselves a Christian throughout history has at one time been a misfit. You have been an unbeliever. You were lost and dead in your sin on your road to hell. But God, in his love for you, shows you mercy, compassion, and, and Christ's eyes for your sin. So when I understand, holy cow, If not for the grace of God, if not for the compassion of God, if not for the love of God, I would still be the misfit. I would still be the lost. I would still be what this person is. So if I have been accepted when I was a misfit, how can I not accept this person? We have got to be a church that continues to remember that and a church that is loving And creates an environment of that love. Here's the fifth problem with partiality. It's sinful. Because it's so unloving, it's sinful. Look at verses 9 through 11. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin. I I just love that. James, uh, my batteries I think are going low. James is not messing around. He's like, if you show partiality, show favoritism, you are sinning. Just point blank. He's not mincing words here. And he's like, you are committing sin if you show partiality. And he says, if you're committing sin, he's, you're convicted by the law as a transgressor. Meaning you are convicted by God's law as a sinner. And he says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for it all. Holy cow, I'm really in a bad place apparently. He says, um, for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. I'm going to have to get new batteries. Uh, that's my batteries, I can tell. So he says do not commit adultery, also not, not commit murder. Now you notice what he's saying here. He's like, if you think you can keep one point of the law and break another, don't deceive yourself. You're breaking all of it, Okay? And, and, and don't think, well, it's only showing favoritism. It's not, that, it's not like it's adultery or murder, so it's not that big of a deal. He's like, no, 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 no. If you, you do one thing, you're breaking all of it. Okay, we got to remember that breaking the law of God is not like um, bowling pins. You don't knock one pin of God's law down and go, hey, I've got another stand, and I'm doing okay. No, it's like a pane of glass. You break the far right corner of a pane of glass, the whole thing is done. You got to replace it all, okay? And that's, come on, come on. Is one of these microphones going to work? I'm going to shut me off and go to the mic. Hello? There we go. Now I'm off on that. Okay, see? Batteries, that's all it was. Maybe it's me. I'm radiating here. So James is saying, listen, if you think you can break one part of the law and, and think you're okay, you're wrong. And he's like, understand that if you can commit um, partiality and, and favorite, favoritism, you're still sinning. And um, what's go- do you, can you guys figure that out? Because obviously something's going on with the... Uh, okay, it's not... I'm going to turn that back on. I'm back on this. So, so James is saying, listen, um, partiality is sin. It's unloving and it's sin. And, in the, and if you're doing it, you're, you're breaking God's law. And, and, and it's sinful. And that's a problem. Here's the next problem. Number six, is, uh, it's going to be judged. A problem with partiality is it will be judged. Look at verse 12. He says, So speak and act as though who are to be judged under the law of liberty. The law of, liber- the law of liberty is the gospel. All right, it's what Jesus did. Jesus has set us free from the bondage of sin. Jesus has set us free from having to fulfill and to accomplish and to do all the rules and the laws and the commands of God's Old Testament. All right, we are we're we're, we're separated from that. All right, but here's the thing: Jesus is the, the the creator of the law of liberty. He he brings freedom to us. So this judgment, when he says, "Act and speak like you're going to be judged," he's talking about Jesus as a judge. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it talks about that you and I, as a believer in Christ, you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, okay? Not for your sin, all right? There is a judgment seat in the book of Revelation called the white throne judgment. That's a judgment you don't want to be at because that's the judgment that every person without Christ will stand before and be judged for their sin and will be cast away from God for all eternity, you as a believer in Jesus Christ, you will still go to heaven, but you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And guess what? It's at that point that, J- that Jesus is going to judge you as a believer, and you will be rewarded for everything you've done. But here's the other thing. You will also lose rewards. Because th- Jesus in 2 Corinthians, it says, we'll be judged for everything that good or bad done. man. I'm hoping I don't lose my rewards, because how how, and 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 the thing is, I don't think we really understand that on this side of heaven. But I have a feeling it's going to be traumatic to lose rewards when to realize that could have been mine. And partially, when when it says that Jesus will wipe away the tears in our eyes, I sometimes wonder will those be the tears to realize that the things we've lost because of the things that how we behave sometimes as a believer. And so we need to understand we will be judged for this partiality. But here's the, the last problem with it. Number seven, it indicates a person is unsaved. Look at verse 13. He says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Judgment will be shown to, or no mercy will be shown to the one who has shown no mercy. You see, James is saying this. If you can act in a way that you can't show mercy to someone, you can't show compassion to someone, you can't show, it's like, he's like, if you can't show the mercy of God, what you're saying is something's wrong with your heart. Because if we understand the mercy that we have received from God through Christ, how cannot we not extend it to other people? And so James is saying, um, if you can't show mercy, because if you're a person who can show favoritism and you can shun other people, you can talk bad about people, you can can look down on people, you, you mistreat people, and that's a lifestyle, more than likely you're probably not saved to begin with. Because if I can treat someone very unchrist-like, I speak bad about people, I talk about people, I just this is my lifestyle. It's not Christ-like. and it's unloving and it's sinful. And if that is my life, what I am truly saying is, I am not even saved. I like this one commentator that I read. His name is Chris Vaughn. And he says it this way. He says that by failing to show compassion on our fellow man, we prove ourselves to be utterly devoid of Christian character. Christian people are the children of God. They bear his image. They copy his example. It is therefore impossible for them to fail to share in his compassion, to fail to reflect His spirit of mercy. You see, as a follower of Christ, again, we're not perfect. But it should be our desire, my heart's desire as a believer in Christ. I want to show mercy. I want to show compassion. If someone comes into our church looking different from me, I want to show love to that person. If someone thinks differently on on masks and vaccinations, you know what? I'm going to show love to that person. If somebody's sinful condition is way out there, I'm going to show love to that person. But if I can't do that if all I can do is mistreat that person and talk down about that person and say bad things about that person and devalue that person, and man, I better do a heart check real, really fast because what I'm revealing is my heart has not been changed. I may have a lot of Bible knowledge in my head, but my heart, it's not connected. And my heart is lost. You see, that's why it says that at the very end, mercy triumphs over judgment. You see, that goes back to God, to us. How many of you know God did not need to show mercy to us? All right. We were the misfit. We were the lawbreaker. We were the sinner. And God could have, he could have just said, that's it, judgment. And each and every one of us could be going to hell. But his mercy triumphs over his judgment. You see, God's judgment's the very last thing. The final straw, man. He, he doesn't want to be judgment. He wants to show love, compassion, and mercy to every person, no matter how far gone, no matter what kind of sin, no matter how deep it is, how ugly it is, what they look like, how they act. God's like, I want to show mercy onto that person and love them. And that's where we need to be. That our mercy triumphs over our judgment toward people our mercy for someone triumphs over talking bad about someone or shaming someone or look at our mercy has got to triumph because if it doesn't it's a mess you see partiality has a problem big time and in this church it is my prayer that we as a people are far from that that we're loving people, accepting people, showing mercy and compassion on people. And whoever walks through those doors, they feel it. They sense that. They get it. And no matter what their life looks like, they can sit there and go, I can stay in this church. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not feeling judged. I'm not feeling condemned. I feel welcomed. I feel loved. And then we'll just let God do the work. Amen? Amen. Hey, why don't we all stand? Let's have a word, a word of prayer to close. And I, I, I want to just challenge you at this point. Where's your heart at? Where are you at when it comes to this, this problem of partiality? Do you tend to judge people? Do you tend to write people off? Do you tend to talk bad about people and and mistreat people? I think we all are in that boat. And, and I think if we're all probably real honest, I mean, God's been working on my heart all week long through this message. And I have even over in my office this morning, I was just saying, God, keep working in me because I don't want to be, show any partiality. I don't want to favor some people and, and, and not others. I want to be as loving as I can to everybody and to anybody. And I pray that would be my prayer for you. And if you are struggling with this sin, That even right now, as I close in prayer, that you will just go before the Lord and repent and ask God to forgive you. Ask God to cleanse this out of your life, purge it from your heart and your mind, and that the love of Christ would fill you so you could overflow with love to others. So, Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord God, that you, Lord, we all have been on the island as as misfit toys, but, Father, you have come and rescued us Through Jesus Christ, despite our sinfulness, despite our ugliness, God, you showed compassion to all you have made. You showed compassion and mercy to each one of us. Lord, help us to be that example to those who don't know Christ. Help us to be an example of mercy, an example of compassion. Lord, not showing partiality and favoritism to anybody, but God, just treating everybody equal, loving everybody equal, compassion to all people equally. And Lord, God, just... We want to be a church that welcomes people. Lord, I know we're not going to be perfect by any means, but God, help us to see our, our blind spots. Help us to see our weak areas. And help us to grow, God, and help us to, to just love people unconditionally, God, because I know that's what you've done for us. And So, Father, we praise you. We just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.